Father, we are so grateful for the victory of Easter, the victory of the empty tomb. We are so grateful that the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, really meant it. We stand here together in wonder and astonishment, daring to believe that you really are making all things new. You have birthed new creation into the old, exchanging brokenness with healing, exchanging darkness for light, exchanging our death with resurrection. May we ponder anew with one another the wonder of the risen King. We pray this in his name, the name that defeated death. Amen. Amen. Well, again, it's so good to be here this Easter, but I'm not actually here by myself. I'd like to invite a few members of the studio audience to come on up. Is there anybody here in my living room? Is there an, let's see, Emma Grace? Is there an Emma Grace? Hey, come on down, Emma Grace. Y'all give her a hand. Y'all give her a hand. Watch out for this candle there. Now, I don't just need your help. I need someone else's help. Do we have another volunteer? Do we have another volunteer in the studio audience? Anybody? Another child here at Nora Hope. Y'all welcome Nora Hope. Come on and sit on daddy's lap. <laughs> I love you. Hey, I need y'all's help. Okay? You know why I need your help? Because I want to talk about how God has exchanged death with resurrection. And so I brought something to help us talk about that. You know what I brought? I brought this. Tell our lovely people watching at home what you're holding in your hands. A string. A string? What color is the string? Red. It's a red string. What if I told you that this was a very special string? And not because I bought it off of Amazon and it said it's smooth like butter. Is it smooth like butter? Does it feel pretty smooth? Yeah? Are you going to knit something with it? No? That's because it's not very long, is it? It's kind of medium. It's kind of medium? Well, it's not just special because it's smooth like butter. It's special because this represents a human life. Ooh, can you say ooh? This is called a metaphor. We'll teach you that in homeschool this week. Ready? This is a metaphor representing a human life. So let's say that this is the beginning. Nora, if this is the beginning, what do you think happens at the beginning of a life? When you're born. Awesome. So let's say that on Nora's end, that's when someone was born. So what if I kept going through life and they grow up and start to crawl and start to walk? What else do they start to do about here? Talk. Talk. What else? Uh, go to school. Go to school. Or pre-K. Or pre-K. And then they graduate from school. What do y'all want to do when you graduate? I don't know. Get a job. Get a job? Okay. Yeah. So let's say getting a job is around here. They grow up. They're living and laughing and loving and doing all those kinds of things that you college. do. Go to high school and college. And on and on and on we go until this part here, the end. What do you think that is? Death. Death. Oh, man. So sad. It is sad, isn't it? Why is it sad? You don't see them anymore. You know, death is sad. It is a bummer, isn't it? But what if I told you that for those of us who give Jesus 
our life, when we reach the end of this life and this stream, he actually gives us God's forever life. That Jesus talked to some friends that lost a brother, and he told them, I'm the resurrection and the life. And that even when people die, if they trust in me, they will actually live and they'll live forever. Jesus elsewhere said that he gives people eternal life. Have y'all heard that word, eternal? Eternal? That's okay. It's, we don't say it every day, do we? Eternal? Eternal means forever and ever. But it's not just that it keeps going and keeps going. It's also a kind of quality of life. It's God's kind of life. And in fact, because we keep talking about God's life, I think we need to have another representation, another metaphor. Okay? What do you think? If this is a human life that has a beginning and an ending, what if I told you that we could actually have an eternal kind of life? Do you see over there that little smooth like butter roll of yarn? Could you go get that carefully? Emma sees it. Here, let me have this. What happens if I took this one human life and said, you know, actually, if we trust in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, he can exchange our death for resurrection and new life, and he gives us God's forever kind of life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to knit this life into God's life, a new creation kind of life. Let's see what happens when I do this. It's tying it in. This is basically what happens when we say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I want to follow you for my whole life. When we give him our life, God gives us his forever life. And maybe it looks like this. Actually, actually could, you, could you take this? And could you go walk over here to the couch? Emma, actually, could, could you help her uh, take that and, and take it back over here? Wait a minute. Can you bring that? Yarn over here. Can you throw? Can you throw it over there? Keep going. Probably. Yeah. Just don't. Just don't light the house on fire and don't bonk my guitar. Okay. Take this thing. How far does it go? Keep going. No. Just hold the yarn. Why don't you go walk to the kitchen and around? Kids, maybe you can find some yarn at home and um, wreck your house on Easter Sunday, like my girls are about to do. They have just walked through the kitchen and around and back. It is. Well, there's still a lot more life, isn't there? Why don't you take it back here? Keep going. Keep going. Look at all this action. The thing about eternal life and God's new creation kind of life, like I said a moment ago, it's not just the quantity, although I hope this illustrates the quantity is pretty huge. It's also the quality of life. You see, when we graft our life into God's life, we can find joy and hope and peace and life and love. And all of a sudden, that one little string of our life gets swept up into something so much bigger and better. And the truth is, it could keep being so much bigger and better, but I think that's about enough because I'm going to get trapped like a fly in a spider web. So why don't you give me that smooth like butter right over here? Toss it to me. Woo, girl. Live TV. Awesome. I hope you know what I've come to know, that when we give our life to Jesus, God shares his forever life 
with us. That's the promise and hope of Easter. Y'all give a hand for my studio guest audience. Emma, Grace, Wrapped Up, Nora, Hope. Woo woo! Y'all head on back and please don't burn down the house. Thank you guys for your help. We are here celebrating at the empty tomb in resurrection wonder because God has exchanged death with resurrection. In just a few moments, I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and I want to spend the rest of our time, these last few moments, unpacking two other statements that God has exchanged. The first thing that God has exchanged that we're about to see is impossibilities with new possibilities. And then finally, the third exchange that God gives us is he exchanges our hopeless ends with endless hope. So join me in Mark chapter 16 if you'd like to swipe or open a Bible, let's hear Mark's account of the resurrection of Jesus, the risen King. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They bought them and they brought them. And then very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But then go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. It's the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Well, if you're following along reading Mark's account of the resurrection of Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified, you might think, man, that ending sounded really abrupt. Man, that ending sounded really open-ended. Well, here's the deal. It is abrupt, and it is open-ended. In fact, most scholars believe that Mark actually had a longer ending, but that ending was lost in the times and pages of history. So what we have in some of our Bibles, and maybe like yours, you have another ending kind of tacked on. That's because some of the people that were copying Mark's letter and circulating it around in the first century wanted to fill in the gap. But what if, what if the ending we have only reinforces the point that Mark already made? That this is not an ending at all. It's actually a new beginning. What if... This open ending is actually an invitation for you to join these women and run away from the empty tomb in wonder and astonishment 
And what if it's an invitation for you to run ahead into a new reality, a reality in which Jesus has been raised from the dead? What if, and I love this, this is a quote from Valerie Quar, who's a filmmaker and an activist. She said, what if this darkness is not the darkness of a tomb, but the darkness of a womb? Woo! That's powerful. What if this darkness is not the darkness of a tomb, but it's the darkness of a womb? What if the tomb in which Jesus was laid, borrowed from a rich man named Joseph, what if it was on loan, not as a final resting place, but as a womb in which God would birth something new, in which God would birth new creation even in the midst of the old, to where we can graft our life into Jesus, who's the resurrection and the life. I want to stand in the empty tomb with resurrection wonder, because as we just talked about, God has exchanged death with resurrection. And now I want to talk to you about this second truth I want you to know, that God has exchanged impossibility for new possibilities. I think some of us need to know that there is a new possibility, a new start, new creation for where you are right now. This is an invitation for you to come and fill in the rest of the story. So, you might remember that Jesus was crucified at 3 o'clock. That's when he finally died and breathed his last. We talked about that on Good Friday. But what you may not uh, remember is that Jesus came from this Jewish community, so a lot of his followers and friends were from that Jewish community also, and one of the big tenets of the Jewish faith is the keeping of the Sabbath. Now, what day is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is on a Saturday, but the way that the Jewish people think of time is not the new day begins when you wake up and hit your snooze button and go get some coffee. The new day actually begins at sundown. So if Jesus dies Friday at 3 o'clock, the Sabbath, that Saturday day of rest where nobody would work, began at sundown, which means they just had a few scant hours to collect Jesus' body from the cross, to wrap him in burial garb, and to carry his body to the borrowed tomb, and then to roll away a heavy stone in front of the door. You see, tombs back in the first century, especially those for people of wealth, it would have a bench, not unlike this church pew that I'm sitting on here in my living room, that they would lay the body down wrapped in cloth. And then they would roll this huge stone like a barn door, right? You've seen Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines. They throw shiplap up on all the walls. Then they hang these cool sliding barn doors, right? Well, this is the first century version of rolling a door in place of the opening of the cave. So they're headed to the body at the first chance they can. Because Sabbath, you couldn't work, you couldn't do these kinds of things. So very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, they go to lovingly embalm, prepare Jesus's body. Of course, it's not really embalming like we do, but it was their version of preserving the body as it laid in the tomb. So what happens is, and I think this is worth noting, these women who saw the crucifixion, 
who saw where they laid Jesus, these women do something that Jesus' own inner circle and best friends didn't. You know what they did? They still followed Jesus and they still served Jesus. This is remarkable for Mark to speak of these women so downgraded and denigrated in society, but set up as the faithful ones who even when it's dark, keep putting one foot in front of the other to follow and serve their beloved teacher. This is remarkable. But here's the deal. They're also real life people and human beings like you and I are. So on their way to the tomb, they start to have this conversation as if it dawns on them, wait a minute, who's going to roll away that huge stone? They're thinking, can we actually do this, the two of us, in our own strength? I love the question that Mark put in our text that we read, who will roll away the stone? And Mark puts it there, not only because of the physical limitation, I can't do it in my own strength, the conversation that they're having. He puts that question, who will roll away the stone, to shock us and remind us that just like these women, how many times do you approach something immovable and impossible? That illness, that diagnosis, that pandemic, How many of you have had those same kind of conversations that we have, your coronavirus conversation, right? That conversation that says, oh, we've been settling into a new rhythm and we've lost this income and we've done this. And you have that same conversation. It's natural. It's natural to see the stone in front of us. To not see the stone is to miss part of the human experience, that things aren't the way they ought to be, but we keep putting, like these women, one foot in front of the other, looking the problem square in the face and wondering what can be done about them because we recognize we can't do it in our own strength. That illness, that strain in relationship, that financial struggle and burden. It's okay on Easter to talk about the stones rolled in front of us. You see, these women went expecting a burial. They didn't expect a resurrection. But I'm here to tell you that in my life and in your life, if we were to look up like Mark tells us the women eventually do, I think we will see that not every time, but enough times, God has taken illness and sickness and brought miraculous healing into an impossible situation. I think if we look up like Mark tells us these women do, we will see where there's brokenness and strain that new creation breathes in the possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation. I've seen it, have you? I think if we were to look up like these women do at the impossible and immovable stones before us, this financial struggle, haven't you had a time in your life when that need was met in some remarkable resurrection feeling way? It didn't happen every time. They went expecting a burial, but it's happened just enough. New creation has broken in just so much that I think we can expect resurrection. And we cry out, we pray, we put one foot in front of the other because Easter challenges us, dares us to believe that the big problems we expect 
wind up being no problem at all for God's power. And Easter promises that if it does end in death, on the other side, when we've grafted our life into his, we will be raised like him and with him. Jesus left an empty tomb because his body was transformed. God didn't even waste his body. And I promise you, God will not waste your suffering and your shame. He will resurrect it just as he will resurrect us in our bodies to be like Jesus. At Easter, we dare to believe that even death isn't a big enough impossibility. Easter reminds us that God exchanges our impossibilities with new possibilities. Finally, the third thing I want to leave you with, that Easter challenges us to stand at the empty tomb in resurrection wonder because God has exchanged death with resurrection. He's exchanged impossibilities, those immovable things, with new possibilities. Finally, and thirdly, God has exchanged our hopeless ends with endless hope. I told you they went expecting a burial right? They thought, this is it. This is the period, the exclamation point, the finality of the Jesus revolution. But what happens instead is they walk into the tomb, they find it empty, except for someone Mark wants us to believe is an angel. And the angel says something staggering. And by the way, let me say this, none of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, describe the actual resurrection. Have you ever thought about that? Have you read through and noticed that they didn't tell us the mechanics of how God raised Jesus from the dead? What they do describe, however, is the aftermath. What they do describe, however, is the risen Christ, who was seen by dozens and dozens of people and attested to down through the ages. We have good historical, albeit miraculous, reasons to stand at the empty tomb and try to soak it all in. But the angel says these words in an empty tomb. Don't be alarmed, which is kind of hard to not be. Every one of these kinds of aftermath um, appearances wind up to be some kind of resurrection cocktail of fear and astonishment. Because this is what he says next. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I imagine these women felt a bit like I did when I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time. Maybe you've been there and you just walk up to the edge and you've seen the pictures, you've seen the calendars, you've seen the desktop backgrounds on your computer, but you stand there at the edge of it and you just try to take the whole thing in and it takes you about 30 seconds to realize you can't. You're seeing it, you're beholding it, but you can't, for the life of you, get your whole head and your whole arms around it. These women are standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon trying to process this, but they have very little time because this is news that needs spreading. Do you know who the first Easter preachers of the first Easter sermon were? That weren't angels. The first human preachers were women. This is so remarkable to me. 
Now, you might say, well, at the end of Mark's story here, they didn't tell anyone. Well, they were still trying to get their arms around the Grand Canyon of the resurrection, so they were afraid. And I'm sure they passed by several people, and they didn't tell them, because they were told to tell Peter and the others. And I think when the dust finally settled, they finally were obedient. These women who had followed Jesus and served him, even to the end. But they just had to put one foot in front of the other, just like you and me, because you can still hike the Grand Canyon, but you can never plumb its depths fully. And so it is with the resurrection. You know, when I became a pastor, I realized very quickly and weakly that I was in over my head. You see, as a young pastor, I'm still a young pastor, but as a younger pastor, I was serving in recovery ministries. So every week I'd walk in on Monday nights, on Thursday nights, and I would find myself in over my head, surrounded by people whose lives had been ravaged by addiction and brokenness. And I realized pretty quickly that I can't fix it. I was in over my head. I was called into hospital rooms with people who are dying and hurting and sick. And I realized I was in over my head because like you, man, there is no magic words. You can be with someone, you can encourage them, but you can't fix it. I, like so many of you, have had a lot of hard conversations. Those kind of hard conversations that you know have to happen, but you don't want them to happen. They're not fun conversations, are they? So I found myself in over my head. So when I'm in over my head, I do what you do, right? I reach out to somebody that can kind of pull me up and help me. I reached out to other pastors and friends, but one of my greatest helps came from the late, great Eugene Peterson. He was famous for translating the whole Bible into contemporary language called The Message, but he also wrote eloquently, powerfully his whole ministry about the pastoral vocation. So one of his books, he said, just like me, feeling overwhelmed, in over my head, all the hospital rooms, all the brokenness, all the difficulty, he recited the words of this angel. He's not here because he's gone ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And what Eugene Peterson wrote is as he went into that living room, that hospital room, that meeting, he scratched out the location Galilee, daring to believe that the risen Christ would also meet him in that living room, in that hospital room, in that meeting. And so I began to pray into this reality of the risen Christ that all of a sudden those places where I felt in over my head, those places where I was so convinced I couldn't do it on my own, guess what? I couldn't, but also I didn't have to. It began to transform that meeting, that hospital room, that impossible, hopeless situation. It began to shift in my head to say, I don't have to go and fix it. I have to go and join the risen Savior who's already at work and out in front of this. How would it transform your week to wake up tomorrow knowing that you just have to join the risen Savior who's already there? You just have to put one foot 
in front of the other, trusting that though you do not see him now, you will see him face to face. These women ran from the tomb in resurrection wonder, one foot in front of the other. They couldn't wrap their whole hands and their whole heart around it. All they knew was that their hopeless end, the end of the cross, the end of the burial, was actually an endless hope. Jesus told them to go back to Galilee because Galilee was where this thing all started. He said, go and tell Peter. You know, Peter, the one that denied me and disowned me. Go tell him. He gets a fresh start. You know, those other disciples who ran and deserted me. Go tell them because they need a fresh start. They need to go into this new endless hope. Mark's ending is abrupt and it's open-ended because he's inviting you to stand at the empty tomb in resurrection wonder in astonishment, and to linger just long enough to get your hands and heart around it as best you can so that you can then go one foot in front of the other because he's transformed an end, an, a hopeless end to endless hope. He's transformed the impossibilities, the immovabilities into new possibilities. He's transformed even death with resurrection. That's why we celebrate. Because he is risen, and he is risen indeed. I want to share with you a benediction written by Aubrey Smith. May you be a hopeful people drawn into hopeless places, receiving light and life from Christ, to courageously carry into tombs of darkness and death. For the stone has been rolled away. He is risen. May our Savior bind your life to the fullness of his life, both in suffering and in joy, in humiliation and in victory, in persecution and in favor, in life, and in death, for the tomb is empty, he is risen. May the power that rose Christ from the dead also strengthen you to endure in faith when trials linger, to wait in hope for the renewal of this groaning creation, and to remain faithful through the loss of all things, knowing that in him alone is true and everlasting gain, for the victory is his and he is risen. May the Lord bless you with peace in place of your fears, with joy in the midst of your sorrows, and with his abiding presence as your true shelter and home. For death could not contain him, and he is risen. So may you, the resurrection people, Proclaim as faithful witnesses that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life, and that death no longer rules over those brought safely into his kingdom. For we have heard with our ears, and we have seen with our eyes that King Jesus is risen. Go in peace. Amen.